Good morning and welcome to Walking with Jesus Through the Word, one chapter per day. I'm Pastor Jason Van Bemmel from Forest Hill Presbyterian Church. It's day 665, which uh, means it's our 300th day of our second year of going through the Bible one chapter per day. And our dog has just decided to start barking at something, probably a rabbit or a squirrel or a bird. Those are usually his top three barking triggers. Okay, Esther chapter 9 is on tap for today. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for loving us and giving us life in your Son, Jesus Christ. Thank you for your word that is perfect and it is complete and it is what we need. We pray that you would speak to us through your word today. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, Esther chapter 9. Now, in the twelfth month, which is the month of Adar, on the thirteenth day of the same, when the king's command and edict were about to be carried out, on the very day when the enemies of the Jews hoped to gain mastery, the mastery over them, the reverse occurred. The Jews gained mastery over those who hated them. The Jews gathered in their cities throughout all the provinces of King Ahasuerus to lay hands on those who sought their harm, and no one could stand against them, for the fear of them had fallen on all peoples. All the officials of the provinces and the satraps and the governors and the royal agents also helped the Jews, for the fear of Mordecai had fallen on them, for Mordecai was great in the king's house, and his fame spread throughout all the provinces. For the man Mordecai grew more and more powerful. The Jews struck all their enemies with the sword, killing and destroying them, and did as they pleased to those who hated them. In Susa, the citadel itself, the Jews killed and destroyed 500 men and also killed uh, Parshadanatha and Dalthon and Aspatha and Poratha and Adalia and Eridatha and Parmashta and Arasai and Eridai and Vizatha, the ten sons of Haman, the son of Hamadatha, the enemy of the Jews, but they laid no hand on the plunder. That very day, the number of those killed in Susa the citadel was reported to the king. And the king said to Queen Esther, In Susa the citadel, the Jews have killed and destroyed 500 men, and also the 10 sons of Haman. What then have they done in the rest of the king's provinces? Now what is your wish? It shall be granted you. And what further is your request? It shall be fulfilled. And Esther said, If it please the king, let the Jews who are in Susa be allowed tomorrow also to do according to the king's edict, and let the ten sons of Haman be hanged on the gallows. So the king commanded this to be done. A decree was issued in Susa, and the ten sons of Haman were hanged. The Jews who were in Susa gathered also on the fourteenth day of the month of Adar, and they killed 300 men in Susa, but they laid no hands on the plunder. Now the rest of the Jews who were in the king's provinces also gathered to defend their lives and got relief from their enemies and killed 75,000 of those who hated them, but they laid no hands on the plunder. This was on the 13th day of the month of Adar, and on the 14th day they rested and made that day a day of feasting and gladness. But the Jews who were in Susa 
gathered on the 13th day and on the 14th and rested on the 15th day, making it a day of feasting and gladness. Therefore, the Jews of the villages who live in the rural towns hold the 14th day of the month of Adar as a day of gladness and feasting as a holiday and as a day on which they send gifts of food to one another. And Mordecai recorded these things and sent letters to all the Jews who were in all the provinces of King Ahasuerus, both near and far, obliging them to keep the 14th day of the month of Adar and also the 15th day of the same year by year as the days on which the Jews got relief from their enemies and as the month that has been that had been turned for them from sorrow into gladness and from mourning into a holiday that they should make them days of feasting and gladness days for sending gifts of food to one another and gifts to the poor so the Jews accepted what they had started to do and what Mordecai had written to them for Haman the Agagite the son of Hamadatha the enemy of all the Jews had plotted against the Jews to destroy them and had cast purr that is lots to crush and destroy them but when it came before the king he gave orders in writing that his evil plan that he had devised against the Jews should return on his own head and that he and his sons should be hanged on the gallows therefore they called these days Purim after the term purr therefore because of all that is written in this letter and of what they had faced in this matter and of what had happened to them the Jews firmly obligated themselves and their offspring and all who joined them that without fail they would keep these two days according to what was written and at the time appointed every year that these days should be remembered and kept throughout every generation in every clan province and city and that these days of Purim should never fall into disuse among the Jews nor should the commemoration of those days cease among their descendants then Queen Esther, the daughter of Habahel, and Mordecai the Jew, gave full written authority, confirming this second letter about Purim. Letters were sent to all the Jews to the 127 provinces of the kingdom of Ahasuerus in words of peace and truth, that these days of Purim should be observed at their appointed seasons, as Mordecai the Jew and Queen Esther obligated them and as they had obligated themselves and their offspring with regard to their fasts and their lamenting. The command of Esther confirmed these practices of Purim, and it was recorded in writing. All right, that is Esther chapter 9. We're rapidly coming to the end of this book. This is the resolution of the uh, central drama of this book, and it is a day and then a second day within Susa of the Jewish people destroying their enemies. Everything is completely turned. Everything is completely reversed. Now, we need to be careful to understand a couple of things. First of all, just because the Bible reports that something has happened, and even reports that there was great rejoicing over it, doesn't necessarily mean that God is endorsing everything that took place. It is possible that with 800 people in the capital of Susa and 75,000 people throughout the 127 provinces, with that number of people being killed, that some of the killing that took place was not justified. In other words, some, some Jewish people may have unfairly targeted people who were rivals of theirs or people they didn't like, 
We're not told any of that in the text, but this is a, a, a book where God is not um, explicitly named and God is not explicitly present and acting, although he is very much acting throughout this book in his providence. But it's the hidden hand of providence, which is more of how we experience providence, right? God doesn't show up and, and speak out loud to us or show his face. Things happen and we understand that God is in control. And just like it is with believers today, things can happen. Things can happen for believers as God's people. Things can be for the good of believers as God's people. And yet not every aspect of it, not every choice that's made by every person in every circumstance is pleasing to God or is in and of itself morally good. So that's number one. Just because the Bible reports something doesn't mean the Bible endorses something. But secondly, the language of Esther 9 is very clear that these are people who were seeking to destroy the Jewish people. I told you as we're going through this book, there was obviously a widespread network throughout the Persian Empire of people who hated the Jewish people and wanted them destroyed because that's who Haman had in mind when he drafted his letter from the king and had it sent throughout the 127 provinces. The Jewish people were scattered throughout every province and apparently in every province they had people, we don't know exactly who, but it was a lot of these 75,000, there were people in all these provinces who wanted them gone, who wanted to destroy them. And this was the day. This was the very same day and the very same time when the enemies of the Jews were hoping to wipe them out. So it was, again, verse 2, the Jews gathered in their cities throughout all the provinces of King Ahasuerus to lay hands on those who sought their harm. These are not just people they didn't like. These are not just people that they thought were bad guys. They laid hands on people who sought their harm. This is a form of self-defense. It's a self-defense that says, we know who you are. We know what you're planning. We know what you want to do. And we're going to stop you before you're able to carry it out. So this is one way to say a preemptive strike against a known enemy with a fixed plan to attack is justified. Very narrow set of circumstances there. An identifiable enemy who has malice and who has a plan to carry out that malice with a specific attack plan, all those conditions put in place, in those cases, a preemptive strike is justified. And I do think that that is, that is the case here in Esther chapter 9. Now, it is, again, God is preserving providentially the line of the Messiah who is going to bring salvation to the world. He's also preserving his people from being destroyed off the face of the earth. They are his people, his own uh, prize, covenantal, beloved people. So God is at work here protecting his own. He's doing th so through human agency. And whenever God acts through human agency, as we find out again and again in the prophets and throughout scripture, God can act in a way to either judge his people or protect his people and do so through human agency. And that doesn't mean that the human agency is blameless or sinless in how they carried it out. 
And I'm emphasizing that because, frankly, the number of 75,000 people who were killed is, is shocking, right? That's a large number. You think, were there really that many people? Well, the Persian Empire was huge. It stretched from India to Egypt to Turkey, right? It was a massive empire. Iran, Iraq, uh, Afghanistan, Pakistan, parts of present-day India, Turkey, Egypt, Syria, Lebanon, all those modern-day countries are incorporated in the Persian Empire, 127 provinces. There were millions and millions of people in these provinces. So it is very possible that there were 75,000 people who were involved in this. I mean, after all, they were. the plan was that after this day, there would be no more Jewish people on within the Persian Empire, which basically means no more Jewish people on the face of the earth because the diaspora of the Jews was throughout the Persian Empire, but not really much beyond the boundaries of the Persian Empire. So if they got rid of them, and that that would take a sizable number, right? You think about it. If you're, if you're Haman the Agagite and you're saying, on this day, on this month, at this time, we're going to strike and every Jew throughout the empire is going to be killed, you need a lot of people to carry that out. So that 75,000 number, it is shocking, and it could be hard for us to process, but if you actually start to think out the practicalities of it, there would have had to have been certainly tens of thousands of people involved. This is not the kind of thing that could have been carried out by 300 or 500 or 1,000 people. They just wouldn't have had sufficient manpower to carry out their plans. So it is, in the end, the action itself is just and is justified. And what God accomplishes through the action, maybe not the action itself, but what God accomplishes through the action is to be celebrated, is to be feasting and gladness. Not the killing, you know, you don't, you don't say, let's have feasting and gladness because 75,800 people were killed. No, you have feasting and gladness because through that sad and necessary, but, you know, terrible thing, through that, God brought about deliverance. And that's a way that we can learn to give thanks to God and we can learn to rejoice in the goodness of God when God is good to his people, even through things that in and of themselves are unpleasant, difficult, challenging. Um, so it is right for them to feast and to celebrate because God has ultimately been the one to bring this about and it has been for the deliverance of his people. So what do we, what do we take away from this? What we take away from this is trust in God that he is at work. Know that his providential hand is, is at work to protect his people, to bless his people, to advance his kingdom, to preserve his godly remnant. And know that when we are called to take action in this life, we should do so with justice and with care and with wisdom, right? And we should also, if God brings about blessing and God brings about good for his people, we should rejoice in that. But be careful because this is not, you can take this too far and you can say, well, the ends justify the means and it's okay to have a mass wholesale slaughter of a whole people group. No, absolutely not. That is not what is happening here. That is not what is happening here. This does not celebrate genocide. This is not celebrating unjust killing of masses of thousands of people. These are identified enemies of the Jewish people who had a clear plan to kill the Jewish people and they were thwarted in that plan. So when God brings about good for his people, even if it comes through difficult, unwelcome, challenging circumstances, we should rejoice and we should give thanks to God.
Hope that was helpful to you in understanding Esther 9 and also understanding just the fact that the Bible takes seriously the complexities of life in a fallen world as fallen people. The Bible is not simplistic. The Bible is not reductionistic. The Bible is not naive or idealistic. It is a very realistic book, and it deals with real, a real God who has a real people in a real world. And that could be encouraging to us because that's where we live, right? That's where we live. Let's pray. Father, thank you for Esther 9. Thank you for your hand at work, for the good of your people, and for the glory of your name. Please be at work in us and through us. Help us to grow to be more like Christ. Help us to serve you as your people in this world with faithfulness and with joy. We pray this, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. That is Esther chapter 9. Tomorrow we're going to wrap up the book of Esther by going on to chapter 10. Hope you can join me for that. Have a blessed day in the Lord. Thank you.